Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. This is God's Word. Here am I, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells on Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and, looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into outer darkness, utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah 9. These are some of the most familiar words read at Christmas time. Their truth, though, familiar is timeless, and we want to take some time to look at them together this evening, and you'll find it on page 693 in the Pew Bibles, page 693. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, you might have spotted the news story about an erupting volcano in Bali. It's feared that Mount Egung is on the brink of a major eruption, and at the end of November, around 40,000 people were evacuated from nearby areas. Tremors from the volcano first began in September, and ash has been billowing above the mountain summit. The last time the volcano erupted was in March and May 1963. It was a significant explosion. 1,500 people died, and 75,000 people were evacuated. Fall debris from the volcano was found between 10 to 12 kilometers west of the mountain, Ash reached Jakarta, which is a thousand kilometers away from Egong, 
and lava flowed up to seven kilometers from the mountain and pyroclastic flows also caused many casualties. As I said, it was a significant explosion. There was a story online recently about residents in the area surrounding the volcano. I'm sure that the residents know the stories of Egong's last eruption, but the governor of Bali said that up to 150,000 people could be asked to leave, and he spoke of people refusing to leave because they were afraid of losing their livelihoods and homes. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I think it's quite something to live in the shadow of a volcano that's on the brink of eruption and not flee for your life. The volcano still hasn't erupted, and experts remain unsure as to whether it will or not. That said, it's quite something to ignore warnings and not go to a place of safety. The same could be said of our response to what Isaiah says in the verses that we read earlier. It's quite something for us to hear his warnings and for us not to run to the place of safety. What we have in Isaiah 9 is not just a beautifully written part of the Bible which is supposed to give us a warm, fuzzy feeling at Christmas time. It's a passage which warns us of danger but also reveals the place of safety. The context of the passage is vital to understanding the message of the passage. We don't normally read that bit at the end of chapter 8, but Isaiah is writing around 700 years before Jesus comes to earth. King Uzziah has died and Judah is under threat from opposing armies. God has called Isaiah to be his prophet, and the message that he wants him to proclaim is one of God's holiness and his judgment on the nation because of sin. But the message also contained a message of hope. While Judah was worrying about threats to its borders from Israel and Aram, Isaiah said the real enemy was to the north. The Assyrian Empire was on the rise, and Isaiah's message was that Judah must fear God and not Assyria or man. You can read a little bit more about that in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah brought another message from God, though, and it's recorded in chapter 9. It gave encouragement to Judah in the middle of these tense political and military circumstances. Like many of Isaiah's prophecies, it spoke not only to the immediate situation, but also to God's promise of a Messiah. And the details that Isaiah includes are striking. Through this passage, we're presented with an impressive picture of what Jesus is like. Why do, we need to, why do we need to look at this passage? It's one of those passages that we look at every Christmas. It's often said that familiarity breeds contempt, but that surely can't be the case with these words. Our familiarity of this passage should really deepen our love for Jesus. As we look at it again another year on, it should cultivate in us a deep thankfulness, a thankfulness for the warning that God provides but a thankfulness that God has also given us a place of safety to run to. We're going to take a few minutes this evening to think about those two main points that we've mentioned a couple of times already. Isaiah 9, this picture of God's Messiah, warns us of danger, but also reveals to us the place of safety. Let's see how this section warns us of danger then. As we've said already, Isaiah is a, a prophet of God who preaches this message of judgment. Things are not good in the land in Isaiah's time. God's people are far from God, and they're caught up in all kinds of sin and rebellion. Chapter 8, verse 22, we get a sense of how bad things are. 
If you glance over at that verse, you'll see that we're told, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Pictures altogether bleak and depressing. The look towards the earth is a picture of people trying to use their own resources to fix the world. They're looking to their experts, to to the mystics, to the scholars for their solutions. And there's terrible darkness because of what we're told in verse 19. People are consulting mediums and spiritists. They're inquiring to the dead rather than to God. If they want guidance about the future, they're most likely to go to the star signs rather than to the Bible. Judah is in a bad way. The nation is filled with injustice. The the darkness is summed up for us back in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It's a summary summary of the state of of the nation. And we're told that Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling, their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They prayed their sin like Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to them, they have brought disaster upon themselves. This is the state of the nation going against God. Disaster is about to fall. And disaster did eventually fall when the Assyrians invaded from the north. They were a brutal people who caused much pain and distress. But there's darkness all around, and the people are in great danger. Who do the people blame for their darkness, though? Well, we get the answer in in chapter 8, verse 21. If you look, it says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Do you see what's happening? There's this great darkness all around, and all the people do is shake their fist at God. They look up and essentially say, God, you've got a lot to answer for. But, the, but really, the problem is an internal problem. Internally and externally, God's people are defying his glorious presence and are bringing disaster upon themselves. They're defying God and running their own lives as they see fit. One of the first indications of the Christmas season is the the appearance of lights. There seems to be lights on everything nowadays, trees, houses, jumpers, you name it. It's probably got lights on it. In many ways, the lights that we put on things at Christmas time are symbolic. No matter what you want to do in a room, if it's in darkness, you have to turn on the light. If you don't, you can't see or do anything. Christmas is is full of many spiritual truths, but unless we grasp the fact that naturally we're all in the same darkness as the people of Isaiah's day, then we'll struggle to understand Christmas properly. In many ways, Christmas is actually the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. The message of Christmas and Christianity is this. Things are really this bad, and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. But for now, we've got to heed the warning. The defiance of God that we see and read of at the end of Isaiah 8 might seem terrible, but it's not much different from our defiance of God. The darkness spoken of here is every bit as true of us as it was of the people in Isaiah's day. 
one of the books that I've been reading over the past couple of weeks is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's one of those classic festive reads. In the first chapter of the book, there are different descriptions of the darkness that Scrooge, the, the main character, is in. There's a description of him making his way back to his house. And Dickens writes that, that Scrooge is, is groping around because he can't see anything. He eventually gets to his house, and after a strange episode with the knocker on the door, we read of Scrooge making his way up his staircase. Dickens writes the following to help us picture the scene, but also to give us an insight into Scrooge's heart. He writes, Up Scrooge went up the staircase, not caring a button for that. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. It's fair to say that the people of Isaiah's day liked the darkness. And it's also fair to say that we like it too, don't we? That's the thing about sin. The, the more we fall into its trap, the more we begin to like it. What Christmas tells us is that we're in real danger. The darkness of our hearts will only lead us away from God in this life, and it will separate us from Him for all eternity. The, this is the danger this section of Isaiah warns us about that the darkness and sin that affects us all will only lead to disaster. The reality is that we so often set, up, set ourselves up as the rulers of our own lives instead of giving control over to God. We so often defy what He says in His Word. We maybe hear and think that we're able to sort the darkness out ourselves, that we're able to fix ourselves, but that's not the picture the Bible gives us. Tim Keller says that Christianity doesn't agree with the optimistic thinkers who, who say, we can fix things if we try hard enough, nor does it agree with the pessimists who only see a terrible future. But there is a solution, though, and it's spoken of in chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. Just as this passage warns us of danger, it also reveals the place of safety. This place of safety is revealed to us in the verses that follow. If you look at verses 1 and 2, we're told, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Chapter 9 begins by telling us about a place. Zebulun and Naphtali were areas on the west of the Sea of Galilee. They would have been the first areas to suffer from the Assyrian attack. They would have experienced terrible days of distress. But in an area that knew the shadow of death all too well, a light has dawned. These verses are important because they're quoted by Matthew in the New Testament in direct reference to Jesus beginning his ministry. Matthew mentions that Jesus left Nazareth and went and lived in Capernaum in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali just so he could fulfill this prophecy. And he is the light who has dawned. He is the one spoken of in these verses. He is the place of safety. But look at the focus of Isaiah's prophecy. He speaks about a baby being born. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the surprise of these verses. The place of safety that God is planning and sending is a baby. Verses 4 and 5 speak of Midian being shattered. It's a reference to Gideon, but of course the story of Gideon was one where God used what seemed weak. An army of 32,000 saw one, three, (laughs) an army of 32,000 saw 31,700 soldiers cut, leaving just 300. But Midian was routed. It seems weak, but it's the power of God. And it's in the plan of God to work through a baby, to make him our place of safety and salvation. It's a surprise because Isaiah is saying that, that we don't need a warrior. We don't need the great bully of all bullies so that we can beat all the bullies that ever lived. God's answer to all the bullies swaggering through history is Jesus. We need this baby, this child that is going to be born. Look at how he's described. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We probably go over these four titles given to Jesus every year, but familiarity doesn't bring contempt, as we said earlier. These titles should deepen our love for our Savior, our place of safety. In his commentary on Isaiah, Ray Ortland writes really helpful words about the titles given to the child who's going to be born. He says this, he says, Look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. He has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. And he is our place of safety. So let's rest in him this Christmas. He is the one who makes sense of our world and of this time of year. Notice also verse 7. It tells us that the rule of Jesus will go on forever. We're told of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus is the king to end all kings, And he is the one who saves us from the darkness of our hearts. He is our place of safety. C.S. Lewis speaks of Jesus coming down to earth like this. He says, One may think of a diver glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. When we think about it like that, it's almost too limiting to say that we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas. We actually stare dumbstruck, lost in wonder, love, and praise. He is our place of safety and peace. He is the one who has viewed us as precious and has come down to recover and save us. 
A couple of implications for us. If this is who Jesus really is, if he really is the mighty God and everlasting Father, then we can't just like him. If you read the gospel accounts of people coming into contact with Jesus, people seeing him heal, people hearing him teach, then you'll know that people were never indifferent towards him. Once people realized what he was claiming about himself, they were either scared of him, furious with him, or they knelt down before him and worshiped him. Nobody simply liked him, though. Nobody said he's really inspiring. He makes me want to live a better life. If the baby born at Christmas is the mighty God, then we must serve him completely. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will do. wonder how we view him tonight. Is he just a useful contact that we drop in with on a yearly basis? Or is he someone that we rely on constantly for everything? Another implication is if that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and prince of peace, we should want to serve him. Notice how he's called a counselor. If you're going through something really difficult, it's good to talk to someone who has walked the same path, who knows personally what you've been going through. If God has really been born in a manger, then we have something that no other religion or belief system claims to have. It's a God who truly understands us. Christmas shows us that he knows us and knows what we're going through. And do you see how everything can be given over to him as well? The government will be on his shoulders. Everything can go on Jesus' shoulders. We can put on him the government of our lives, the politics of this life that we face on a daily basis, and know that he lifts our burdens. What a message that is. Everything can go on his shoulders when we trust him because he is our place of safety. Isaiah 9 then warns us of danger and reveals to us the place of safety. The thing about this place of safety is that it's a gift. Christmas is a time when you receive presents and we often talk about gifts that you, don't really, that you get that you don't really like or want. You know, the pair of socks, the deodorant set, some gifts are really hard to receive. Some gifts require us to swallow our pride and accept them, however begrudgingly. But there's never been a gift offered that makes us swallow our pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to. Tim Keller memorably says, Christmas means that we're so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. You see, as we talk about Jesus being our place of safety, we have to remember that that's what he is because he went to the cross for us. His cradle is vital and important, but so is his cross. It was on the cross that the light of the world experienced darkness so that we might be welcomed into his family, the ultimate place of safety. These are familiar things for us. In fact, this is the same message we speak of in Hill Street throughout the year. But Christmas is one of those strange markers. It's a bit like Easter, a bit like harvest to an extent. Another year has passed, and we often comment, don't we, that the years seem to be flying and that the time is swiftly gliding by. Christmas is maybe one of those times in the year when we're a little bit more interested in church good to catch up with people, nice to sing carols and enjoy mince pies. 
but it would be a tragedy if this year, this Christmas, was just like any other Christmas where you ignore the warning and don't run to the place of safety. I mentioned that volcano in Bali at the beginning. It's quite something to live in the shadow of a volcano that's about to erupt and not flee for your life. But it's also quite something to hear the message of the gospel and harden your heart. To say, do you know what? I hear this every year, maybe even every week, but it's not for me. Isaiah 9 calls us to hear the warning, the warning of danger, the warning that our hearts are naturally bent against God, that we deny His glorious presence, and that we go our own way. But it also calls us to run to the place of safety, the only solid ground there is. The place of safety who was the same on the first Christmas, this Christmas, and every Christmas there will ever be. It calls us to run to Jesus because there is no safety outside of Him. This time of year often brings a focus on children. You hear people saying things like, you know, we wouldn't go to the trouble of Christmas if it wasn't for the children or grandchildren. There is a sense in which Christmas is a call for us all to become like children but not in the sense that you're maybe thinking. Christmas is a call for us to become like children because the child who's born grew up and during his ministry on earth said this, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What Jesus was saying there was essentially this, you need to be humble to understand the message of Christmas. To accept the the true Christmas gift, you have to admit that you're a sinner, that you're a helpless child who, who can't reach God by yourself. You have to heed the warning and turn to the light of the world, the light who shines in darkness in faith. And when you do that, you will know him to be a rock and a refuge and a place of safety for the rest of your days and then for all eternity. So will you put your hand into the hand of Christ, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace this Christmas. It would be a tragedy, a tragedy, if you did anything else. Heed the warning and run to the place of safety. Let's pray together. Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Father, we pray that you'd help us to follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. We pray that you'd help us to hide behind him. As the everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. Help us to enjoy him this Christmas. As the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. May we welcome your dominion and rule, Lord, because you know best. Bless us, we pray, for we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen.